This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. I encourage you to take your Bibles. Again, we'll be moving around in the scriptures tonight as we continue to examine the theme that we began to look at this morning. Thirteen verses in the Bible teach us about the love of God, using that phrase directly. And we're going to consider God's love again tonight, the love God has towards us and the love that we should have towards God. Father, we do ask now for you to meet with us, that you would empower this vessel of clay. Help me to be clear, give me a clear mind. Father, when we take up your wonderful love, your infinite love, uh, Father, I want to express from my heart uh, the truths that have come from the heart of our God to teach us about the relationship that we have with you by faith in Jesus Christ. So guide in this time, uh, draw us to yourself, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We mentioned that that short phrase, four words, the love of God, teaches us much about our God, but it requires study because as you read that in our King James Bible, uh, the way that it is worded, you have to dig a little deeper. Look at the context. Look at how it is worded to know whether that is talking about the love that God has towards us or the love that we should have toward God. We noticed this morning that the origin of the love of God is indeed God. Now that sounds simple uh, on its face, but it is compounded by the fact that God is holy. In other words, He is in a category all by Himself. God did not have to reveal Himself to man. After the fall, after man uh, decided to follow his own will instead of the will of God, God could have scrapped it and started over. But that wasn't His plan. In fact, he already had in place a plan. And in that plan, he would show us just how much he loves us. But God revealed his love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we're spiritually dead. Uh, the Lord has to draw us. Uh, as we uh, respond to his drawing, then God redeems, he turns the light on, he illuminates. And it's only through faith in Christ then that we can even understand the love of God uh, in a limited way. I'm looking forward someday to having a glorified body, uh, a perfect mind, not a mind like God's because he's all-knowing. Uh, I'll never be all-knowing, but with a, uh, a mind that is no longer limited by the flesh and, and the darkness of sin, uh, my mind will be able to comprehend in far greater ways the love of God. And we're going to bask in that love for all eternity. 
But at the close of the message this morning, we started to look at the operation or function of the love of God. In other words, the practical functions of God's love toward us. We saw that God's love toward us was meant to be experienced through faith in his Son. We have to be careful because the charismatic movement has placed everything on experience, everything on feelings. And frankly, that train has jumped the tracks and they've tried all kinds of things to try to drum up emotion and feeling for a believer. We don't need any of that. We don't need that. When God moves in our hearts, when he's in control there, the fruit of the Spirit itself, love, joy, peace, uh, all those wonderful emotions that can frankly overwhelm us if God's in control of us. But God has given us his truth in, truth in his word that if we'll meditate on that truth, God will draw us to his very heart. And when he does that, those sweet hours of prayer, those times with the Lord, that can overwhelm us. You read about uh, some saints in the past who have walked with God and they write about it. Uh, there, there are times of yielding to the Holy Spirit that sometimes they were so overwhelmed by the reality of Christ's presence and his love, they literally prayed and said, God, I think you're going to need to stop this. I don't know that I can take anymore. Now that sounds fanciful. It's not. God created us to fellowship with him. And then through Christ, he's recreated us for that fellowship to be restored and for you and I to get hold of his love for us and the fact that we have the privilege of loving him back. So we looked at some texts that, that help us understand that. God's love for us was meant to be experienced through faith in his son. You and I can, can have that and know that and, and relish in that. Then we also finished up by just talking about how redemption opens the door for us to be able to experience God's love personally, joyfully. Now let's move on. There's a second practical function of God's love towards us that I want to consider tonight. Again, we're just taking topically what the Lord has said throughout his word related to that phrase, the love of God. Here's, here's the second functional, practical function of God's love towards us. God's love towards us is meant to sustain us in all of life's events. It's meant to sustain us in all of life's events events. Paul concludes his third letter to the Corinthians, and I'm, I'm saying that carefully. We believe there was 1 Corinthians, what we know as 1 Corinthians, and then 2 Corinthians. Uh, as you study those books, there seems to be a letter right in the middle that somehow was lost. So really, your 2 Corinthians is a third letter that Paul wrote. But in 2 Corinthians, Paul concludes that letter by saying this. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 13, and verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Now he's saying that because 
these things are what are going to bless you and preserve you. And he puts his stamp of this is truth on it by saying, Amen. Again, the love of God be with you all. Albert Barnes in his commentary said this, the love of God here referred to is the manifestation of his goodness and favor in the pardon of sin, the communication of his grace, and the comforts and consolations which he imparts to his people. And all this, and all that uh, constitutes an expression of his love. No matter what happened to the Corinthian believers, they remained in God's love, and His love would sustain every aspect of their lives. When God saved you, He promised this, He that hath begun the good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. What motivates Him to do what He's doing? His love for you. His love for you. Again, it cannot change. Whatever your circumstances are, you can be assured God's love for you is going to see you through. Well, I, I'm just here as part of his plan, and if I get knocked around, slapped around, no, no, no. That is not your God. That is your flesh speaking. He loves you. But if you are out in a boat on life's sea and the waves threaten to drown you, He'll come on the water to you. In fact, it's better than that. He's in your boat. He's in your vessel. Now, is this really true about God's love? Well, listen to what Paul wrote from God in Romans 8, 38 and 39. If you want to turn over there. Romans 8, verse 38. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from, are you listening? Here's that next phrase. The love of God. God's love towards us, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, did Paul know anything about facing death, life struggles, principalities, powers, things present, things to come? Did he know anything about trouble? Of course he did. And what did he say? I'm persuaded. God loves me. And I may be on the ground outside Lystra and they're, they're pounding me with stones. God loves me. It's going to be okay. I am persuaded. So Christian, no matter what you are experiencing right now, no matter what you will face in the future, God's love will sustain you, and you need to focus on that. Now, his love's going to sustain you whether you're focused on it or not, but guess what? If you focus on it, it will go better for you. He can't love you anymore. He won't love you any less. And you are the apple of his eye and the center of his affection. If you ever doubt his love, you do so in error. He gave his son for you. His spirit lives in you. And the loving work he began in your life, he will perform until the day you see Jesus Christ. 
This is what Paul was referring to when he said to the Thessalonians. Here's another one of those passages, 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 5. And the Lord direct, guide your hearts straight, is what he's saying there. Guide your hearts into the love of God. The love of God towards you. May God guide your heart. Whatever you're facing, whatever is, is happening, may God guide your heart into his love for you and into the patient waiting for Christ. That's what he said. So God wants us to sense his love by saving us, and he wants to sustain us with the reality of his love. So when Satan tries to convince you that God's abandoned you, and your flesh says to you, you've messed up just one too many times, that God's gone the other direction, don't you believe it. He loves you. He's a perfect father. He's not going to abandon his, his children. He is the good shepherd. He never leaves a sheep in the field. Now this brings us to the second meaning of the love of God. Our God, or our love toward God and its functions in our lives. So if God loves you that way, reciprocate. Reciprocate because he deserves it. Do you know the heart of God longs for it? He wants to be loved back. So love him back. But oh, by the way, when you love him back, the scripture going forward with this same thing we've been looking at, there are multiple verses that talk about the benefits to you for loving God back. Besides thrilling the heart of our great God, what does the Bible say our love towards God will accomplish? Well, here they are. I hope you'll write them down. Number one, it reassures us that we are one with Christ. It reassures us that we are one with Christ. Remember Jesus said in John 14, 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. Okay, We should tell the Lord we love him. But each time we obey him from the heart, he sees and knows and he hears in his ears, God, I love you. When my flesh tempts me to enter into that temptation, to offend my holy father, and I look to him and I ask for his deliverance and I yield to the spirit of God, submit to God, resist the devil, the devil flees. Do you know what happens when I leave that temptation? God's walk, watching me and he, and, and he has just heard from me, Father, I love you. 1 John 2, 5, but whoso keepeth, the language there, whoso keeps on keeping, okay, whoso keeps on keeping his word in him verily, truly, is the love of God, love for God, perfected. In other words, it's maturing, becoming more and more complete. So as I continue to yield to him and I keep on keeping his word, what happens is the love of God, my love for God, continues to mature. It continues to develop 
But here's the side benefit. Are you looking at 1 John 2, 5? Hereby know we that we are in him. Oh, that's precious truth. As I deny myself, take up the cross, yield to the Lord, obey him, follow him. As I continue to love him back, keep, keep on keeping on loving him, the passage tells me that one of the side benefits of that is I am reassured that I am in Christ. So this love for him, along with the other fruit of the Holy Spirit uh, that he is producing in our lives, my life, your life, is what the Spirit uses to bear witness that we are the children of God. He continues to reaffirm that as we love him back. Now this is why seasons of yielded obedience bring peace and closeness to the Lord. Have you had those seasons? Those are the seasons that our hymn writers constantly refer back to when they say, draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord. And other, other songs uh, that, that have been written that speak of that closeness to the Lord. So that's one side of it, that constant reassurance, that reaffirming that we are in Christ. But this is also why, all right, Ongoing disobedience can cause a Christian to doubt God's love and even doubt his or her salvation. God doesn't give assurance of salvation to a Christian who isn't acting like a Christian, who by their behavior is saying, God, I don't love you. You are indwelt by the Spirit of Christ. He feels all that. Is it, does he really? Yeah. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Yeah, he feels it. He senses your love or lack thereof. Now, when, when you love him back, there is the constant affirmation of your, of your relationship with him. Again, it doesn't change whether you're saved or not if you're genuinely a believer. But that sense from the Lord, that is affected. This is why Christians who know God can be some of the most miserable people on earth if they're not loving God back. His love hasn't changed. But everything you do communicates love or a lack thereof to the one who saved you. And so it reassures us that we are one with Christ. Next, our love towards God is helpful in this second way. It motivates us to more obedience. It motivates us to more obedience. 1 John 5 and verse 3. For this is the love, again, toward God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. They're not a burden. But you have to connect the, those parts to that verse. When I obey God and express to him through that obedience, I love you. And by the way, that's the only good motive. Now, I should obey God to stay out of trouble. <laughs> uh, I should obey God because it's the right thing to do. Do right till the stars fall. 
But that doesn't so much warm the heart of God as, Lord, I'm doing this because I love you. I love you. I'm limited in how I can love you, except for the Spirit of God right here. But Lord, I love you. And based on that, you died for me. I'm giving you everything. And that effect will be that I don't look anymore at God's commandments as being a burden. Now, here's part of the problem. Your flesh will constantly say to you, it's a burden. The alarm goes off. Okay, where's my Bible? I know I need to pray. Oh, I'm cold and tired. That's your flesh. When morning gilds the skies, my heart awaking cries, may Jesus Christ be praised. I get to spend time with the God who created me and recreated me. Lord, I love you. Help me to love you more. And as we continue to love God and consistently obey, we will be motivated to obey even more, and His commands will not seem a hardship. Be honest, the reality is, when you're loving and obeying God, it's easier to love and obey God. When my heart is yielded to Him, and I'm right with Him, and I am walking in the Spirit, it's not so hard to do what the Lord has said. If our service for God and others starts to become an inconvenience, a hassle, a burden, then we have stopped loving God as we should. Now, if we just step back and examine the lives of the disciples, this comes into full color. So think about this with me. The scripture makes much of the disciples' love for Jesus. It really does. There was a disciple whom Jesus loved. That is stated four times in John's gospel by who? John. Okay. He's making a big deal of that. Now here's something that will help you. That's not what Jesus said about John. John's my favorite. He loved them all equally, right? That's God. But John loved the Lord so much, he wanted everybody to know that they had this close bond. He, he, he won't even give his own name in the gospel. That's why he's referring to the disciple Jesus loved. That other disciple, he doesn't even refer to his, him, himself. But he wants everybody to know, I loved him because he loved me. John makes much of that. Now, there was a disciple who boasted and then blasphemed. Who was that? Did Peter love the Lord? Yes, he did. Be careful. Yes, he did. We're going to see it in just a moment. How did Jesus, after his resurrection, identify where Peter had failed? And then, what did Jesus use to help to restore this disciple. They meet up in Galilee and three times Jesus says this, Peter, do you love me? What's Peter's response? Lord, you know I love you. Ah, he did love him. 
You know I love you. All right, feed my sheep. But he said it three times to identify the problem. Peter, I know you love me, but there are times when you love you more than you love me. That's where this problem, these problems have come from. And so when the Lord needed his disciples the most, and initially all of them scattered, and you would too if there was an army in a garden coming to get your Lord. But immediately, two of those disciples come right back and start following Jesus again. Who were they? Peter and John. And they go right up the steps on the side of Jerusalem, right up to Caiaphas' house, and they are both there. One remains loyal and faithful, and he never leaves. In fact, at the foot of the cross, he's still standing there. One was there for a while, but when the pressure got too heated, his love waned and he started to love himself and three times he cursed. And on that third time, the rooster crowed. And, and, and if you can imagine this, when that happened, Peter looks into Caiaphas' hall and his eyes meet the eyes of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus was angry with Peter. No, because... Jesus loved Peter. I believe in that account that when those eyes met, it wasn't so much hearing the cock crow, it was when Peter saw Jesus' eyes, it melted his heart, and he went out and wept how? Bitterly. He loved the Lord. But when that love waned, Peter ran. Do you see how important this is? Love for Christ motivates obedience to Christ just as genuine love for others results in service to them. So this leads us then to the third practical function of our love towards God. Here it is. Love towards God causes us to sacrificially serve the needs of others. It causes us to sacrificially serve the needs of others. Now John the Apostle takes the two aspects of the love of God and combines them in 1 John 3, verses 16 and 17. If you want to turn over there. 1 John 3, 16 and 17. Hereby perceive we the love of God for us because he laid down his life for us. And, now here's the obvious result, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So our love for others should demonstrate Christ's love for us. Are you saved tonight? You've experienced deliverance because you should have been on that cross and instead Jesus was for you. That's love. Now if he's willing to do that for you, in his love, what should you do for the brethren? Even more practically, Ephesians 5 tells husbands, and this is where we come to Valentine's Day, tells husbands to love their wives just like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Husbands, do you know that your wife needs more than flowers? 
dinner out, chocolate, or whatever else. Now, ladies, I, I'm not telling them not to do those things, okay? <laughs> Go ahead and do those things, but you know what? She needs a lot more than that. She needs you to sacrifice for her needs to the extent you would be willing to give up your own life. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. Say, well, it's hard. Yeah, him hanging on the cross wasn't so easy either. But if he was willing to do that for you, you are required to do that for her. And it really isn't so hard unless you love you more. Your marriage declares to the world and your wife how much you love you and how much you really love her. You and I know we're living in a day where men are lovers of pleasure and lovers of themselves. It has crept into the church and it, it makes me sad how Christian men sometimes will treat their dear wives and not serve their needs. You have been given the responsibility, the opportunity, the privilege to respond to her like Jesus responds to the church. Question, every day, how much of Jesus do you and I get? 100%. 100%. And so every day, how much of you should she get? And how much does she get, guys? <laughs> that was a well-timed moan. <laughs> Conviction is a funny thing. It, it really is. Now, let's, let's get serious for a moment, all right? And you loving you more than you love her, it reveals something else. Look at 1 John 3, 17. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother, this is brethren at church, all right, body of Christ. It will include sisters in Christ and the sister you're married to. Whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother, brethren, have need, and shuts up his bowels of compassion for him or her. Question, how dwelleth the love of God, love toward God in him? The conclusion of Scripture is you not only love you over the needs of others, but you don't have love toward God. I've sat in my office, and I've said this to husbands. Yeah, I believe you love her, but you love you more than you love her. Because what we're talking about is, is pretty silly. You've got all your plans and all the things you're pursuing. She has these basic needs, and that should be your, your concern after your relationship with the Lord. But here's the reality based on what God says in his word. Your behavior is illustrating you don't love God. I didn't say it. He said it. 
when you close up your compassion towards someone who is in need, how dwells the love for God in you? We need to be very careful as the church of Jesus Christ, when we throw around, yeah, I think they love God, but. But what? If you love me, you keep my commandments. If you love me, you open your heart in compassion to meeting the needs of others, and that needs to start in your home. Spouse, parent. Our love for God causes us to serve the needs of others, our spouses, our children, and our family. Let's move on. Our love towards God reassures us that we are one with Christ. It motivates us to more obedience for Christ. It causes us to sacrificially serve the needs of others. And fourth, love towards God compares, uh, or I'm sorry, love towards God prepares us to meet Jesus Christ. Again, I'm not making this up. This is what these verses, the love of God, teach us. Look over at Jude 1 and verse 21. Jude 21. The love of God, love for God, prepares us to meet the Lord Jesus. Here's what Jude says. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep loving Him. Looking for, and what's the next word? The. All right, do you know that the is a definite article? In other words, it is referring to the very mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto or resulting in eternal life. Now what is that saying? What is the mercy of the Lord Jesus? The mercy. We're aliens living on an alien planet where they hate God. They're trying to throw him out of everything. And by the way, they hate his kids too. And they're going to twist things and they're going to make it sound like we're the bad guys, we're the haters, okay? We're, we're not very understanding. And they're going to they're say all those things try to put us on a guilt trip because we stand with truth. The reality is the most love on this planet is happening from Christians who are yielded to God. That's why in Hebrews the Bible tells us of whom the world is not worthy. We are the conduits for the love of God. The love of God shed abroad in our hearts to others. We're the ones where our teacher, our Lord, tells us to even love our enemies and do good to those who spitefully use you. And that's what he says. And so as we keep ourselves in the love of God, we keep loving God, that will enable us to look for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that mercy will happen Either when your life stops here, your body quits working, and he immediately ushers you into his presence. That's mercy. Or a trump sounds, and before we can blink an eye, we're in the presence of the Lord. That's mercy. Now here's the connection. 
Jude is warning the church about apostasy, especially what will happen before the Savior's return. How does the believer stay true to the Lord even though many will depart from the faith? How does a Christian stay true even when the love of others, even other believers, is waxing cold and they're returning to the world? How do we stay true? The answer is keep on loving Jesus. Just keep loving Him. Don't let others or other things steal your love for Him. Those who love His appearing and receive the crown of righteousness, 2 Timothy 4.8, are those who really continued to love Him. And so the love of God speaks of God's love towards us and our love toward Him. And do you understand now, based on these texts, how that relationship just picks us up and propels us forward spiritually to serve Him and to love Him from the heart and to love others and just to desire every day to fellowship with our God who loves us infinitely. One songwriter got a hold of this. When 1 John 4.19 says we love Him because He first loved us. Trevor Francis wrote this, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless, free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. Underneath me, all around me, is the current of thy love, leading onward, leading homeward to thy glorious rest above. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, love of every love, the best. Tis an ocean vast of blessing. Tis a haven sweet of rest. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Tis a heaven of heavens to me. And it lifts me up to glory. For it lifts me up to thee. The love of God. We have that from an infinite Father. And by His grace, we can return that love to Him. Will you let the love of God towards you cause you to love Him back? And will you let that love grow you that you might experience the fullness of the relationship that you have with Him? You say, yeah, but it's not like having someone that I can see and love. If you will look at the Lord through the lens of his word in these passages that we've looked at, you can love him even more than those that you see. Because those that you see, they may do things that may not help you to love them. Not so with God. And that's why the scripture reminds us, having not seen, we love. And very soon our, our sight will see him who was pierced for us, the one who loves us and sits at the right hand of God for us. Don't question God's love for you. It's unfailing. It cannot change. 
Now ask God for the grace to love him back and let that love propel you forward to walk with him, to serve him, and to enjoy what Christ, the Christian life is all about. Shall we pray? Father, we are grateful tonight for these texts. Thirteen verses, a simple phrase, but out of the scriptures, the light of the throne room comes shining forth to our hearts. And though we don't deserve your love, it was never about that. Father, thank you that you love us with an everlasting love. Holy Spirit, you are the source of love in us, the love of God. And Father, would you just use the truth that we've heard now We've considered much. But would you help us, in light of your love towards us, to love you more. To love you in such a way that it would warm the heart of God. And then, Lord, allow us to experience the benefits, the practical, functioning work of our love back to you uh, so that we please you more and so we can experience the joys of being your children. Now, Father, I don't know how you've worked in hearts, but would you help us now to, to seal that with you, to agree with you, to speak to you, uh, Lord, as we have this time now to respond to what you have said in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.